0: Support for The Bittersweet Life comes from Clyde Hill Publishing, partner and publisher for founders, innovators, thinkers, and tinkerers. Clyde Hill works with non-traditional authors to help bring their ideas and lessons to life. To learn more about Clyde Hill's services and books, visit ClydeHillPublishing.com or Clyde
1: Hill Pub on Twitter.
0: Hello, I'm Tiffany Parks, and this is A Bittersweet Moment with Katie Sewell. Hello, this is The Bittersweet Life. I'm Katie Sewell, and this is your midweek bittersweet moment. And today, you might want to go back and listen to the episode that happened on Monday, if you haven't heard that yet, because today I am joined by Matthew P. Warner, director writer, and producer of the radio play that we aired on Monday after midnight. Matt, thanks so much for coming on.
1: Thank you for having me. I am a huge fan of your podcast.
0: (laughs) Thank you. I'm a huge fan of yours as well. Thank you so much for letting us air your play. Thank you. You know, it's fun because around the holidays, sometimes I like to mix things up and do something different. So airing a play that's something that we don't normally do just felt new and different. So I appreciate that. Absolutely. So the other thing about you is that you and I are old childhood friends. Mm-hmm. In fact, people who listen to The Bittersweet Life on the regular know that I met Tiffany Parks on the school bus in the sixth grade, but I also met Matthew P. Warner in the sixth grade as well. Absolutely. And you claim to remember how we actually met.
1: Uh, yeah, we met at a birthday party of a mutual friend of us, uh, Rachel. Really? Yeah, that was the first time I met you. It was at her birthday party.
0: Interesting. Why do you remember that, do you think?
1: <laughs> I, I, I don't know, but I, I think the reason I remember you was because, obviously, we had met for the first time, and growing up on Mercer Island, such a small place, you kind of grow up knowing everybody, so when you meet someone new, it kind of is easy to remember that person, because it's only, what, a six-mile by four-mile <laughs> yeah. space, and and so and then you and I ended up having a class together the next year. And when I walked in the class I saw you I was like I remember you.
0: Yeah, yeah. So maybe maybe you remember more than me because I would have been fairly new. I would have just moved to town about a year prior. Oh, okay. So everybody would have been new. Yeah. To me. So, before we talk too much about our childhood because I'm sure everybody wants your insider take on what I was like as a little person. Uh. <laughs> let's actually talk about this play. First of all, and like I said, if you haven't listened to it already, we're going to be talking about how it was made so go back and listen to it first monday's episode called after midnight um but how did you come up with the idea for this script
1: well this was a script i actually wrote all the way back in 1994 between my our junior and senior year and it started off as a story i would just tell friends just to entertain whether we were all camping during the summer or late night you know gatherings swimming chatting but uh i've always been a huge fan of old mystery movies and and horror but not just the big names from universal but like the pre-code 1930s i guess they're now called forgotten horrors uh -hmm. ones that a lot of people don't know exist but i always loved the theme of the mysterious killer who leaves his mark and has an arrogance about him and every time you think you know who he is you never figure it out till the end and then when I was 10, my parents introduced me to old-time radio for the first time, and I instantly got hooked on that. And so it was kind of my tribute to pretty much everything I loved as a child and, and even still love today.
0: Yeah, wasn't it originally a silent film?
1: Good memory. Um, actually, it started off just as a story to entertain our friends, and then After we graduated from high school and I went to film school, I wrote it as a full length feature film script. And then my senior year in film school, I had to film a 15 minute project. So I filmed it just the first 15 minutes. But what happened was none of my crew showed up on the day we were supposed to film. So my camera guy, my lighting guy, my sound guy, everyone got the flu.
0: Whoa.
1: And so I was left. To do everything myself, including star in it, which I sure didn't want to do that. (laughs) And so what I ended up doing was the only way I could make it work was to make it silent. So what I did was I would set up the camera, set up the lights, and then I would just act. And of course, being silent, you had to be really over the top cheesy. Mm -hmm. So a lot of pantomime acting and stuff. I was pretty positive it wasn't going to work, but surprisingly enough, it did.
0: That's great. That's great. So that's
1: that's how it was kind of came across as a silent and then obviously, eventually, I think 2001, I made it into an audio script, and then I rewrote it again last year in 2019.
0: Yes. So you and I have had a mutual love of old time radio for a long time. And Mm -hmm. as I mentioned on Monday, meeting other people that have a mutual love of old time radio in this day and age is rare. Absolutely. (laughs) Unless you purposefully seek them out. Right. And if you do, Generally speaking, you're the youngest one in the room. Absolutely. I mean, maybe that's not true anymore. I originally joined my first old-time radio group in my 20s, so perhaps I would be one of the older people now. Who knows? But, but what is it about audio theater that you really like compared to, you know, you studied movies, so what's the difference in your mind?
1: I think what I love most is the control that the listener has. Obviously, if you and I, which we did many times in our 20s, we'd sit down and we'd listen to a play. And I don't think I even realized this then as I do now, but you and I would listen to the same play, but there's not a chance in the world that you and I heard it the same, saw it the same, imagined it the same. And that's what I think I love most about it is even though all of the bits and parts are there for you to hear, you have to use your imagination to picture what's going on. So my play, for example, they meet in the library and all you can hear is a fireplace going on and at one point an old phonograph record playing in the background. But the listener's going to see the library different than I see it. And I wrote it. Right? yeah, yeah. That's what I love about it, the ima- amount of imagination and creativity the listener has to use, which I think with all the social media and don't get me wrong. I love social media and I love looking at my phone and everything. But everything's kind of done for people now. And this is a great way to kind of turn off your eyes and turn on the brain a little bit more than normal and really let the imagination go wild.
0: What I think is so interesting about it too, is that because you and I not only have listened to radio plays at the same time, we've also listened to the same ones over and over again, because we have certain favorite episodes that we love. And the thing that I find interesting is that no matter how many times I hear the same episode, I always picture it the same way, even if it's been multiple years like there's a story that you and I both loved called the house on Cypress Canyon well I have a very distinct opinion about what Cypress Canyon looks like me too what kind of house they pull up to what kind of car they're driving when they pull up to it yep even though none of that's mentioned right and then I can revisit it 10 years later and again it's that same canyon that same house and I find that very strange also
1: Absolutely. No, I, and I the exact same way. I picture the exact same, the road turning up to it. Even the little mention of them decorating a Christmas tree, I even have that pictured in my mind.
0: Oh, so it's like the uh, diehard debate of whether or not that's a Christmas movie. Is, is The House on Cypress Canyon right. a Christmas <laughs> audio play? <laughs> Nobody would think so. No, I don't. Nobody would think I so. I don't either. <laughs> but. So The House on Cypress Canyon, because probably none of you listening have ever, ever heard it, is in the horror genre, most likely. And you and I have also been mostly drawn to suspense and horror when it comes to radio plays. And that's not to say that we don't listen to comedies and we don't listen to other things. But but for you, particularly because you've also made several horror films, what is it about horror that is that you love?
1: Again, back to the imagination, I think it lets the imagination run a little bit more wild than, say, a comedy. I mean, because with comedy – and comedy, is, I think, is super hard to do because – you know if it's not funny it's kind of the whole point is blown but with horror if you can get someone to actually get sucked into it and think about it and even if it gives them that one chill down the spine it kind of gets the whole mission you know accomplished uh, to fear is not an in my opinion an emotion that is regularly you know, dealt with maybe, maybe with what's going on in the world today. It is with the pandemic and everything. Everyone's kind of nervous and afraid, but usually you're happy or you're angry or you're sad. But I always think fear is one of those emotions that's just kind of hidden and then comes out relatively often. So if you're in a way, I guess, able to control someone's fear just for 30 minutes to an hour or whatever, I just think that's a, I just think that's Cool. <laughs> to put it lightly, I
0: guess. <laughs> so, another thing that longtime listeners to this show would have heard is that occasionally, not annually, but occasionally, we replay the interview with your daughter, yep. four years old, talking to her about how much she loves horror films. Yeah. It's a piece called Chloe Loves Horror that I made for NPR ages and ages ago. Because, how old is Chloe now?
1: She is 19. <laughs>
0: right. It's been a while. Yeah. But it was one of the most controversial radio pieces I ever made as far as the responses that people got. Because I have a four-year-old who's telling me that she's watching Scream and Night of the Living Dead and uh, Amityville Whore, and a father who is in support of that. Right. Not only in support of it, in delight of it, really, where most parents would find that kind of inappropriate. So do you want to defend yourself? You defend yourself some in the in the piece itself, but Would you like to explain why fear was an okay thing to instill in your child?
1: Mostly because when I was a child, my my father showed me these films. And now I didn't show her scream. That was a little out of my realm. Um, She came out when she was actually three and I was watching Night of the Living Dead. And before this, and I don't know if this is just coincidence, but she pretty regularly had nightmares like most children do. And she'd wake up crying in the middle of the night and... She just came out one night, and I put her on my lap, trying to just to calm her down. And she just got really sucked into the film and asked a lot of questions. So I didn't see any harm in it, considering it wasn't a very graphic movie. It was obviously you could tell it was creepy, and also I wasn't sure at three if she was really able to understand what was going on, because as a father of only three years and also in my early twenties, <laughs> yes, you know, a lot of learning, a lot of room to grow. But um, I noticed though that after she started watching she never really woke up from nightmares. So I don't know if that was just because she had visualized a little bit of fear and therefore it kind of just kept her calm. But even today at 19, she still loves – and she watches like the horror movies that are made today, like the really gory graphic ones that I still don't because I'm all about the classic. Yeah. I like it when it was new, it was original. Everything now just seems to be a, a remake of some sort and I'm just not a fan of it.
0: Yeah, for sure. So you'll have to go uh, back into the archives. I believe we labeled one The Blood yes. as a title. The Blood, yeah. So if you look for that, you can hear that story. All right, so we're rapidly running out of time, but um, since we were childhood friends, mm-hmm. as long as Tiffany and me, since the sixth grade, do you have anything about me that you would like to personally share to the curious listener.
1: <laughs> I remember every time seeing Katie, she always had a jean jacket on and a hat just like Debbie Gibson.
0: Oh jeez. <laughs> Going all the way back to middle school there. Yeah.
1: That's how I always would describe her. Like, who's Katie? Like, oh, she's the one that's dressed like Debbie Gibson. Oh gosh. <laughs> I'm just kidding. That's so dirty. Just... And true. No, you and I have always been really close, and the thing I always liked about our friendship from middle school to high school, even through college is is you and I can go years without seeing or chatting. And then as soon as we reconnect, it's like we've never ever been spaced or, mm-hmm. you know, never seen each other. It's like we've seen each other all the time. So that's, I don't have a lot of friendships that are like that. So that's why I always refer to you as my oldest and dearest.
0: Yeah, oh, that's nice. And we've also had like so much in common, not so much not just radio drama, but, you know Oh yeah. Who else who else in the world have I gotten into a debate about who's better, James Cagney or Humphrey <laughs> Bogart with Right. Know? And that we both came out on the on the right side. Right. Which is that James Cagney is better. Cagney. Uh, no question, hands down. Cag-
1: yeah, Cagney's <laughs> always the man. Although
0: sometimes every now and then I'll hear Bogart in radio play and I'll think, well, he is a little bit better on the radio. His voice is so good for the radio. And James Cagney, while very fun to watch on the screen, his voice just isn't as good on the radio.
1: I totally agree. I, I absolutely agree because Bogart had a much more suave voice, whereas Cagney's was very a lot higher. And But when you see him on film, I mean, who's always ending up shooting who in the film? Cagney's, <laughs> it's all, true. Cagney's always shooting Bogart at the end.
0: It's true. Everybody always thinks that Bogart's the one that comes out on top, but he does not. He does no, not. He,
1: He always cowers down to uh, Cagney.
0: (laughs) Well, thank you again for letting us air your play.
1: Oh, no, thank you so much. Like I said, I've been a longtime listener and fan of your podcast, and I think you guys do an amazing job. And the fact that you took the time to share something that's really not something that you regularly do and the support and all that stuff, I can't tell you how much uh, me and the cast uh, greatly appreciate it.
0: Well, and we were joking that maybe I should challenge you to write us one for Christmas next year.
1: Oh, I've been thinking about it all day.
0: <laughs> oh, I have one more thing I want to ask you um, before we go. You played multiple characters in this audio play. I played four. Four. Is it possible? Maybe it would be too hard, but is it possible for you to just give us each one of the voices?
1: <laughs> I'll try. Hold on. <clears throat> Let's see here.
0: You'll have to give us the name of the character, too.
1: I will. And, and some of them, to hide my voice, I did a little pitch a little pitch uh, change just so it wasn't too obvious but uh first off I was Commissioner Coleman and uh you know kind of like the old typical grunt you know moody boss so I start off playing Commissioner Coleman and then of course I was Jameson the butler who everyone knows as the poor victim who was forced to do this and then I I was uh, Judge Gary Thompson as well. Uh, Everyone, you know, you got to love the old man. (laughs) (laughs) And then um, the last, this will be hard because there was some pitch, but I was also the voice of X, the killer. Hopefully this is coming across okay.
0: (laughs) Well, my personal favorite was the judge, the old man, I got to say. Could you tell it was me? I could tell it was you with Commissioner Coleman. I don't know. Did I think that you were the judge?
1: I do remember you texting me and asking me, are you the judge?
0: (laughs) Yeah. So maybe I did think it was you.
1: Jameson was obviously the most obvious because it's really my voice. I just kind of added a little charisma and, you know, (laughs) a little on and off. Uh, I I actually modeled him after one of my favorite actors, William Powell. Oh, very nice. So I was trying to impersonate him the whole time. Very
0: cool. I love that. Yeah. All right. Well, we will leave it there. Thanks again. Thank you so much. Yeah. And until next time, this is The Bittersweet Life. I'm Katie Sewell. Thanks for joining us. Subscribe to the show if you haven't already. And if you love it, leave us a good review. And please tell all your friends about us. Also, if you have an idea for a bittersweet moment, send it to us by email or voice memo. We're at bittersweetlife com or you can just find us at the contact page at thebittersweetlife.net or on all the social medias, just search for The Bittersweet Life.